TJ Watt is definitely the best player on the Steelers roster and especially the Steelers defense, but Minka Fitzpatrick is going to play a pivotal role in how the Steelers develop moving forward and how Terrell Austin and Mike Tomlin designed this defense in the era that's post Keith Butler. I'm Chris Carter of the Lockdown Steelers podcast. We're going to talk about that importance and what the Steelers defense could be. And I say we because Josh Taylor, uh, Josh Taylor of KDK TV is joining us here right on the Lockdown Steelers podcast. Let's get into it. <laughs> Locked On Steelers, your daily Pittsburgh Steelers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome to the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, bringing you your daily dose of all things in the Pittsburgh Steelers. As always, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, and YouTube. If you're enjoying this video, uh, please hit the like button on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button to our YouTube channel to get all of our daily content. We thank you for making the Locked On Steelers podcast your first listen every day. And remember, if you want to help us out any further, go on to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review with a positive comment. We can do both at the same time. We get you a shout-out at the end of the show. Joining me today, as I said, our friend, our recurring guest, Josh Taylor of KDKA TV here in Pittsburgh. Josh, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. It's uh, it's it's good to be on again. It's it's weird because it seems like every time you want to have a conversation about something, something pops up related to what we're talking about, and it's like, I got to stop talking to Carter because every time we talk about something <laughs> – that thing comes close to happening. So maybe we should like leave some things alone. I don't know. Are you kidding me? I want more things. It gives me more content. This is easy to produce. (laughs) What are you saying here? Uh, I don't know. I'm starting to feel responsible for stuff that happens. And I'm like, Oh man. So it's, it's just weird how we talk about stuff and the stuff that we discuss kind of comes to pass. It's kind of eerie. It is. We we we, t- we were talking about you know assistant coaches recently, and then they hire the assistant offensive line coach. But if you want to see that episode, I talked about that in depth for yesterday's episode. Go check out my breakdown of Pat Meyer zone versus gap run schemes and how that plays into the Steelers. But I want to talk to you because you and I have talked a lot about defense, defense, and defense. That's going to be the essence of what the Steelers are in the coming years. And everyone's excited about T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, and the defensive front. They got to fix the run defense. Devin Bush, what's he going to do? But and everyone knows Minka Fitzpatrick's back there. But I truly think, Josh, a huge storyline for, for the Steelers that isn't ta- being talked about enough in, in, in Steeler media, lore, and all that is the role that Minka Fitzpatrick is going to play in Terrell Austin's defense. I wrote about this for DK Pittsburgh Sports. You can go check out my Carter's Classroom on, article on it where I break down film, stats, analysis on how this plays into it. But when you look at Minka Fitzpatrick, and the importance that he has played in the Steelers' success in the past several in the past several years, in the past three years since he's been on the team, he's pivotal. When he is having success, when he is creating turnovers, the Steelers are winning games. In the nine games that he's made interceptions, they are seven and two. There's there's no disputing that. And, and two losses are one time against the Niners when they created five turnovers in Mason Wells' first start, and they still lost the game. And then was the blowout loss to the Bengals. If the if the Steelers' offense was able to get anything going in that game, his interception might have changed the game in, in that situation. But Josh Minka to me is it's all for Terrell Austin, who Minka has said he loves. He he went he didn't want to pray. He said I don't want to even praise this man too hard because I don't want other teams to take him away from us. But between Terrell Austin and Mike Tomlin, however people feel about Mike Tomlin calling plays and Terrell Austin designing them and all that, 
to me, one of the biggest focuses of this Steelers defense has to be making sure that Minka Fitzpatrick is back into a roaming role in the defense. And what I did with my film study, Josh, is when I looked back all throughout the year, and I said this during the year two, Minka Fitzpatrick was not allowed to be what he was in 2019 and 2020. Why? Because the departures of Steven Nelson and, and Mike Hilton left the Steelers a little bit bare at the cornerback room. Joe Hayden missed games. So that means you had James Pierre starting out the on the outside. You had Arthur Mollette starting on the inside. And that left the Steelers in situations where they said, Minka, we can't let you be in your sort of prowling, you know, robber role that you're really successful in creating turnovers on because you have to specifically back up this person here and that person there so that, that we don't get beat. I wanted to ask you, when you look at Minka, what do you, what do you see from him that allows him to be that game changer that quickly flips things around? Let me start by what you see when he's not there. Huh. Let, let's go to that game against the Chargers oh, where boy. the Steelers' defense came back time and time again in the second half and kept getting the ball back for that offense to get them back in the game. And then after the Steelers stop the Chargers on fourth down on their own end of the field, Get the offense the ball. The offense goes three and out and kicks a field goal and has a three-point lead. Chargers get the ball back. They drive down the field for the game-winning touchdown pass. What happened on that play, though? Trey Norwood was at the safety position. Mika yep. Fitzpatrick was not there. Coverage gets blown. Boom, Chargers win that, win that game. And my first initial response was, what happens if Mika Fitzpatrick is on the field for that play? Does question. that play probably happen? And my answer is no. My, that, that, my answer is that no, that play probably does not happen. That's the first question I ask. Then I move into what happens when he's on the field. And you laid it out really, really well. I thought your story for DK Pittsburgh Sports, which I, I checked out quickly before we came in here. Um, I thought that laid it out really, really well. And what I did was I jumped on to um, his, uh, his pro football reference page. And this mm -hmm. is something that stuck out to me. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned how they're seven and two when he gets an interception. And then something that stuck out to me was, you know, what was his, his passer rating for opposing quarterbacks hmm. when he was on the field? In 2019, now granted, he was with two different teams. So combined, it's 93. Right. But only because it's 158.3 for the two games he was with the Dolphins. <laughs> he was targeted seven times. He gave up seven catches and three touchdowns. He looked pretty bad, but he wasn't playing the same position with Miami that he was when he came to the Steelers. He shows up with the Steelers. He's targeted 25 times gives up only 13 catches, and the, the opposing quarterback's rating was 46.3 in 2019. Jeez. After they brought him in in an early season trade. Mm -hmm. He was that good, that fast. Mm -hmm. Now, the year before that in Miami, when he was strictly playing the safety position, his opposing quarterback rating was 64.6. So he was still pretty effective. The problem was Miami kept moving him around and kept making him do different jobs. He comes to Pittsburgh and says, hey, Terrell Austin says, hey, you're going to be this roaming guy. You're going to play the deep ball. You're going to be the center fielder. You're going to make plays in open space. Mm -hmm. 2020, a little bit thing, probably a little bit more, 26 targets, 13 catches allowed. His, his opponent quarterback rating was 65.7. He gave up one more touchdown than he did the season before. Other than that, everything else was almost exactly identical. It, mm -hmm. That's how, how much impact he had in just two seasons being added in having that role I was really really pivotal in why those two defenses were as good as they were and they don't they still for some odd reason still don't get credit for being as good as they were I, I keep making these two cases the 2019 defense if that defense doesn't play the way they do, they did they don't go eight and eight in that season the 2020 defense they might they not go four and 12 <laughs> they might yeah they might they barely go four and 12 
the, the 2020 team doesn't win the division without that defense. Mm-hmm. They just don't. It's just the way they play was at that kind of level. And I'm still making the case that the team, that this 2021 team doesn't go nine and eight without this defense. Mm-hmm. And make it Fitzpatrick didn't play nearly the same role he did in the two previous seasons. That says a lot to me as far as if he's able to do what he's best at. Because the thing you heard a lot in 2021 is, oh, you know, Mika's not getting picked. Now I'm like, yeah, he's not doing the same job. Right. Of course you're not going to have the same results when you're not doing the same job. Cam Hayward's been doing the same job the entire time. TJ Watt's been doing the same job, and if anything, he's in coverage less, so he's doing the same job more. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why their production has gotten better, and Mika Fitzpatrick's has changed because he's not doing the same job that he did before that he was successful at, which makes me just as hopeful as you going mm-hmm. into 2022 with Terrell Austin as the defensive coordinator and being able to you know emphasize, hey, everybody has their job. Everybody do their job here so this guy can do his job better than everybody, and maybe everybody benefits from it. And there's a twofold, you know, there's a two-edged sword to this because the 2019 mm-hmm. defense really had two different things going for them. They led the league in turnovers. They led the league in sacks. But another two things that they had, they'd make a Fitzpatrick doing that job that he does so well, and they had a healthy Devin Bush who led mm-hmm. them in tackles, and he had six takeaways of his own to match Mika Fitzpatrick. There's a lot of things you mix in that this 2022 defense can look a lot better next season if things go right. That's what I want to keep talking to you about is how do they get back to that point? Because that's the bottom line. You need takeaways. You need you need big play factors. You need to stop the run. But you also you need a guy in that in that, in that deep part of your team that can fly around and be that game changer in the middle, middle of the field. I'll talk about the importance of that with you uh, in a minute here and the likely and the chances they have of making that happen again. But first, we're going to talk about BetOnline.net, one of our great sponsors here at at, uh, at, at, at the Locked On Steelers podcast. Football season might be over, but basketball is full steam ahead with both pro and college hoops available for betonline.net where you can place down your bets from all the latest odds totals player performance props to where the next coach fired coach is going to land betonline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs betonline remembers the best spot for all your sports scores podcasts and news this season and it's not just basketball betonline.net is your source for hockey boxing ufc odds right down to olympic coverage and information at all times head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action at Bet Online, where the game starts. Back here on the Locked On Steelers podcast, I'm Chris Carter here, your host with Josh Taylor of KDK TV. Josh, we're talking about Mika Fitzpatrick and the importance of that. One thing that I think that's important to remember is that person who can be in the middle of the field, who can change everything, that role is so pivotal for great defenses. And, and even if you're not great, even if you're, you're just good and opportunistic, all the better, the best defenses need that. The Steelers of of the two of the 2000s into the early 2010s, they had Troy Polamalu, even though he was he was a strong safety. That guy being the X factor who could weave it, weave in between all the things that forced defense, that forced offenses to have to worry about him, to have to say, I have to know where he is at all times. And that get, makes things easier for other guys. But a big part of getting that guy the opportunity is having the right players in front of him or around him so that he doesn't have to, what we said before, babysit other, other responsibilities. Because the problem is, is, you know, when you looked at the Steelers roster this year, you look at Arthur Mollett. You look at James Pierre, you look at the guys they've had Justin Lane having to put him out there. 
if you were the Steelers, you were really cons- you were really you know worried. You know, if if he goes up against Jarvis Landry in the slot, of course that's Arthur Mallette. If you go up against Jamar Chase, you go up against Henry Ruggs. Those are situations where you're going to get burned by 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 faster those number one receivers that are going to be placed all around the field. And Minka's number one job on top of creating t- turnovers is keeping the big play from happening. Like you said, against the Chargers, he wasn't there. And after the Steelers put the you know get, were able to come back get the lead, they had they gave up that touchdown in one big play because of a miscommunication. Minka is a master communicator. He puts every he puts everyone on the same page. Since he's been there, the Steelers have been much better at taking away the big play and taking away the deep ball. But you need the guys around him. And a phrase that you hear from a lot of football guys all around the place. Dale Lolly says it in DK Pittsburgh Sports. Matt Williamson says it here in the Locked On Podcast Network. It's not always about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmys and the Joes. And that is why, Josh, I think it's going to be imperative for the Steelers, as much as we're talking about improving the offensive line, they need to get players on this defense who can handle their roles, handle them well, and say, hey, we're locking down all these spots. Minka, you go be that ranging free safety in the center of the field and be the game changer that you need to be, and that's what puts everything back together. I'm glad you brought up good defenses that had that guy in the middle that was such a playmaker. And Troy Polamalu, it's really it, – it might not be giving him enough credit by saying he was a guy in the middle of the field because he made plays all over the field. He made him right. in the middle of the field. He made him in the sidelines. He made him in the back. But that's the point, the that, they, that, that they're free to do all of that yeah. because everyone else is doing their jobs. That, that's how special he was. It, it was fun hearing Ryan Clark talk about him doing his job as opposed to Troy doing his. Ryan Clark goes, I got the easiest job in the world. I just got to defend my little one part of the field, and then Troy does the rest. Like it, <laughs> it was it was hilarious hearing him describe just how easy his job was because all he had to do was his one little part, and Troy Polamalu handled everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy that I think better encapsulates this particular discussion is Ed Reed. Yes, when absolutely. You saw, when you saw Baltimore's defenses in the early 2000s and going into the 2010s, that middle of the field, and this was the one thing Ed Reed was so special at. Quarterbacks couldn't even look Ed Reed off. Nope. Like there was there was a particular play where Peyton Manning tried to look off Ed Reed, and he still managed to get back across the field and still get to the ball. It, it mm-hmm. was it was really uncanny how well he was able to read and make plays just off of seeing and reacting. And stuff like that is just it's so rare, it's so special to see. Now not that I'm comparing Ed Reed to Micah Fitzpatrick because that's not where I'm trying to go with this. But just stressing the importance of having that guy that can make plays is going to make your defense that much better. The thing that sticks out to me when you talk about Micah Fitzpatrick, you know, maybe trying to have the one role as opposed to trying to back everybody else up. I'm reminded of the exit interviews, and you were a part of all of these when the mm-hmm. guys were done at the end of the season. And there were three guys whose exit interviews stuck out to me. Arthur Mollette, um, Trey Norwood, and Akella Witherspoon. All three guys said the same exact thing. Minka was the one that helped me learn what I needed to do. Uh, Trey Norwood really praised Minka. He's like, he helped me figure out my job as a safety and as a corner because he knew what I had to do as a safety, but he also knew where I needed to be as a corner because mm-hmm. he's played he's played both positions, so he just knows where everybody needs to be because he's that guy that has to be able to direct traffic. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about a slot corner and two other corners, and one granted, one slot corner plays safety. That all said the same thing. Hey, this guy helped me figure out what my job was. Then you have Terrell Edmonds, who says, "Look, this guy makes my job easier because I'm able to do this one thing, and then he's able 
to handle the other thing. So I know he's going to be back deep so I can worry about what's going on in the middle. I can worry about what's going on with my responsibilities as far as coverage or being near the line of scrimmage because I know anything past me, Minka's got it. So you're talking about four different guys who all played roles on this defense throughout the course of the season, all singing praises about how this guy helps them do their jobs better. And that's not counting Joe Hayden who says, hey, this guy's the most talented guy on our defense and he does so much stuff so well and helps everybody else out. So you're talking about the veteran guy in the secondary and all the younger slash newer guys in the Keller Witherspoon's case, because he is a veteran, but he comes in in a trade and had to learn the learn the defense in a short period of time. And he credited two people, Nick Fitzpatrick and Tara Austin. Huh, I don't funny it's coincidence. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> so, and, and for the record, uh, Keller Witherspoon is a guy that I hope is back next year. Because mm. now that he's familiar with everything, now that he's played with these guys, and you can tell he's found the comfort level, and he ended up leading the team in interceptions this season. Go figure. Yep. You want to have that kind of cohesion. You want to have that kind of group back that understands, hey, we all know where everybody else is now. We all know what this guy needs to do. We know what that guy needs to do. Our position coach is the D.C. now, so we, we know what he expects from us. That's the kind of co- cohesion, that kind of continuity, though. There's that word again that we always talk about. When you could have that going into that unit next season, that got stronger as the season went on, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Mm-hmm. That becomes a really important part to that defense getting back to what we saw a couple seasons ago. It certainly does. And then that communication is about, and I've done episodes where we've weighed, you know, should it be Joe Hayden that they keep? Should it be Akella Witherspoon they keep? I've advocated Akella Witherspoon just makes a lot of sense. There's certainly a warning level there because you're like, hey, this was only a, a, a short sample size for, for half of a season. But he looked good. He and he wasn't just getting interceptions. He was contesting. He was looking. He had good technique. He was walling guys off. He was playing the ball well, and he was communicating at a high level. I still think even if they bring back Akella Witherspoon, they need to go get themselves another outside cornerback who can lock it down. And then you can bump Cameron Sutton to the inside, let him play slot again, where he's had a lot of success. And then you have three corners at you know that you can start with and say, you guys. Lock things down. Maybe you bring back Terrell Edmonds at the safety position, and you're saying that this is the group. We trust these guys. Minka knows Minka knows all of them. And if you sign one of the top cornerbacks, maybe a Stephon Gilmore, maybe a JC Jackson. I know I'm just, I'm just scraping like the, the very top of the of the barrel here. But if you go again, and again, the Steelers are going to have a lot of friends, a lot of salary cap money this year. You go and get guys like that. That's going to allow them, hey, go live on your island over there. We trust Akella Witherspoon to lock things down here. We trust Cam Sutton to play really well in the middle of the field. You hope Devin Bush and maybe another linebacker that you sign or that you draft is going to you know, ha- handle their responsibilities and that you hope the defensive line is either healthy enough or if you've got another person to replace to it if, he is, if he's not back to all that. And then all that lines yourself, yourself up to get Minka Fitzpatrick being back to the X-Factor guy that he was in 2019 and 2020 where – if you look back at those numbers, the Steelers in in those years, they were just getting interceptions on top of interceptions. That's three. That's three. That's three year stretch. Even with the dip that they suffered in twenty in twenty third in, in twenty uh, this past year twenty twenty one when they only intercepted thirteen passes. I think they had twenty in twenty nineteen and eighteen in uh, in twenty 2020, twenty and twenty twenty. You look at those numbers. That three year stretch. The next best year. The the only year that's been better in the last, by I think what, eighteen years was 2004 to 2006, which was when Dick LeBeau re- became defensive coordinator again, and you saw the surge of Troy Polamalu, the surge of Ike Taylor, you know, having James Ferrier in the middle of the field, and how good that defense was at the end of the Bill Cowher era because of those guys added. But again, 
personnel is very important. I want to keep talking about Josh with that right here in the Locked On Steelers podcast. We'll be back in just a minute here, continuing this conversation. Back here on the Locked On Steelers podcast, I'm Chris Carter here with Josh Taylor. Josh, you know, again, looking at these numbers and comparing the errors, and again, I'm not doing this simply to say that these guys are exactly like each other, but and you look back since 2004 when Dick LeBeau first became, or was second, not, not first, when he, came, when he came back to Pittsburgh to start off as the team's defensive coordinator for his second stint. When he took over, since then, there have been, uh, there have been four defensive backs who have recorded a season with four interceptions or more. There's Troy Polamalu who recorded seven interceptions twice and five interceptions once uh, in during that time. There's Deshae Townsend who recorded four interceptions once. There's Joe Hayden who recorded, recorded five interceptions once. And then there's Mika Fitzpatrick who's recorded five and four interceptions in two years. Um, there's also James Ferrier. He recorded four interceptions one time in 2004. That's ridiculous. But point being, half of those defensive backs that have done that have been under Terrell Austin, have been under his tutelage, and, 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 and are about that. Joe Hayden, when he did that in 2019, that was at the you know at the end of his prime. When when I think we could say that, hey, Joe Hayden was was the guy, and Joe Hayden's still a dude. He's still one of the dudes. He's still he's still a legend in 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 his in his time in the 2010s and what he added to the Steelers defense at the back end of the year. But you could see in 2021, he's he's just he's not able to do the same things that he could say in 2017, 18, and 19 when he came back to the Steelers. The Steelers need Minka to get back to this point, they, you know, because if he's doing this, it changes everything. You saw what he did, you know, with it with with his interception, his pick six against the Colts in 2019. You saw how in those moments he flips games around when he does that. To me, this is again why prioritizing Terrell Austin. You know, a lot of people are going to make a lot of hay about oh, Mike Tomlin calls the plays. Terrell Austin doesn't actually do anything. First of all, we've already covered that several times in the show. The coordinators obviously put together the packages from talking to the position coaches on the defensive line, the linebackers, the inside linebackers, the outside linebackers, the the, the, the defensive backs coaches. They they put together those packages and that puts together the game plan. And then in the game, yes, Mike Tomlin is going to be privy to, to call plays and to and to have that happen. But that still leaves an important role for Terrell Austin to fill. So for Terrell Austin, this is why I'm saying it's imperative for him to find a way, and part of this ties into Kevin Colbert in the front office, to make sure that you leave him there to do that. Because, Josh, you and I have talked about this in the past in the past three years. Stevens won 29 times. And I had to adjust this number because we, we looked it up and we did the numbers crunching. But there have been 20 – in 21 of those 29 wins they've had in the last three seasons, the Steelers' defense has held a team to 20 or less points – and either tied or or done better in the turnover battle against their opponents. That is ridiculous. That is that you know that is that is you know what that's what that's about seventy five percent of their wins are from the defense playing at an unbelievable level. And we again we account for these in those years. There wasn't you know they they've they've been hurt up. They've they, they've lost guys in on opportune times. If you look back at the twenty twenty season for example. They a lot of those games. In fact, I, I wrote all I wrote all these down in in my notepad here. Um, in 2020, they did this six times. All of them happened leading into that last Ravens game that was played the week of Thanksgiving or the week after Thanksgiving because of the whole weird COVID situation the Ravens were in. 
Once mm-hmm. Bud Dupree and was going on top of Devin Bush, and then Joe Hayden missing time for COVID, that's it stopped happening. Why? Because the Steelers just had too many holes to fill on their defense. This is what they have to get back to doing, especially in the post Ben Roethlisberger era. It's worth noting of those twenty-one games. Let's just look at the ones in the twenty twenty-one season. I think eight of those nine wins twenty-one season. Eight. Yes. Eight. This they team had is, eight. Yep. This team isn't in the playoffs if this te- no. this defense doesn't do what it does. And again, this is a year when the rushing defense was the worst in the NFL. This way, all the other things that they, they had going against them. Devin Bush didn't return back to form. Stephon Tewitt mm-hmm. never played in this season. Joe Hayden missed significant time. Arthur Mollette had to be your starting corner. Six quarters of Tyson Alualu. Six quarters of Tyson. Six quarters. So many things wrong. And yet this defense had won eight, had eight games where they, again, you limit your, your opponent to less than three touchdowns you, and you either win or tie the turnover battle. People think that this defense is bad because of the, oh, they, they stink in the playoffs. They, they, they let up a lot of points to Cleveland. They let up a points to Kansas City, first of all, who didn't. Um, they let up a lot of points to, you know, to the Jaguars years ago. Meanwhile, people are comparing a 2017 defense that didn't have Ryan Shazier, that secondary was complete, had Artie Burns, Mike Mitchell, and Sean Davis as its as its primary as its primary starters, and was had holes all over, and a rookie TJ Watt. That defense is nowhere near what the Steelers defense over the last three years has been designed to be when it's healthy. And this is worth noting because I keep hearing people saying. Oh, Mike Tomlin's defense this and Mike Tomlin's defense that. Mike Tomlin's defense has overcome an offense that has gotten worse over those last three seasons. They, they've worse. done all that stuff you've laid out, and the offense progressively got worse. Mm-hmm. I don't think people really take that into account because 2019, you had six quarters of Ben Roethlisberger because yep. he blew out his elbow and that was it. So that means the remaining 14 games of that season, they went eight and six. With Mason Rudolph and, and the guy who's about to start a duck call podcast as their starting quarterbacks for 14 games. That defense is the reason why I that mean, team definitely. went eight and six. You can spin it however you want to, but that team does not go eight and six in 14 games without that defense. And mm-hmm. that defense, by the way, was fifth in the league in yards, yep. fifth in the league in scoring defense, and they led the league in turnovers and takeaways and in sacks that Mm -hmm. 2019 defense did that then you have this 2021 team yes with that really bad rushing defense without their two best run stoppers Mm -hmm. in in two with an alu yeah you're going to have some problems there your leading tackler that you had three years ago was not up to form because he's coming off an acl injury and you were still able to see this defense by the way still be top five in the red zone and ninth and third down Mm -hmm. how was that possible with yeah. that defense to still be ninth on third down and still fifth in the red zone. Yeah. They were able to do a lot of that. They took a lot of uh, drives or the other team should have been getting points and capitalizing and making things worse. And they were able to force teams to either have to punt or keeping them to field goals. There were a lot of times they held teams to three when they probably should have given them touchdowns because the offense put them in terrible positions and they still managed to wiggle their way out of it. And it goes unnoticed. But I didn't miss it, and I'm sure you didn't miss it. No, and I did not. It, it stands to reason that if there's a, a if there's a standard I'm looking at as far as and people keep overusing the standards and standard quote. People like you're trying to use it as a detrimental term, and I don't even mm-hmm. think you know what it means half the time. But if there's a, a standard I'm looking at as defense in 2022, I'm looking directly at 2019. 
can, if you're if this defense can be as good as that one was mm-hmm. with just a reliable running game, it doesn't have to be the best in the league. Just be reliable and reliable and competent quarterback play. This and team could be a lot game managing, taking expect. what's there, taking, just taking because, what's there, and, and being able to take advantage of little situations here and there. When the defense gets you and gets you a takeaway, gets you a big sack and forces a punt. How about you get some points out of that drive? Exactly. If you get the ball on the plus side of the field because the defense gave it to you, how about you get some points out of it? That's why they beat Buffalo, because the defense made plays on the plus side of the field. The special teams blocked a punt. T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward combined yet again to combine on the takeaway, just like they did to score their first seven points at Kansas City. I love how we talk about how the defense gave up all these points on the back end, but we forget the fact that the defense gave them the lead because the offense they were the, failed. They were the only thing that the Steelers had going for them in that game. But They were the Steelers scoring in the first quarter of that game. In the first yep. 20 minutes of the game, they had kept Kansas City quiet, they kept them scoreless, and they provided the only points in the first 20 minutes of the game. I mean, that right there is bottom line. And to your point, and we're talking about the offense and how it struggled, a lot of the defense, a lot of the things that the people blame on the defense because they go look at the box score and they say, oh, they gave up this many points. It comes after the defense gets stop after stop after stop and the offense doesn't capitalize in the right moments. We have only Look at the draft charts, point. folks. Don't look, just look, look at, at the, the box drive. score. Exactly. Look at the draft charts. Look at the drive charts. Look at the missed opportunities. Look at how many times the Steelers had, you know, either had an opportunity to tie or take the lead in the game, and they didn't. The offense didn't do, didn't take advantage of it on those possessions. And how eventually, when you kept putting the team, putting the team back out there, they're going to figure out your defense. Because in today's NFL, you can only do so much as a defense before teams start to figure out what your disguises are, what your what your play calls are, and then hey, we're going to operate this way and do that. That's just how the offense. The, the offenses are designed here but in this era in these last three years we're talking about where the Steelers have ranked fifth overall in points and yards in 2019 third and overall in points and yards in 2020 and th- and then took a step back in 2021 in that span of time the only time when the Steelers offense was even was decent was for about 10 games in 2020 because you go back and you look at look at look at those losses once the Steelers fell off because everyone said oh the Steelers defense it fell apart in the end of the year once they got injuries but on top of that they got no backup from their offense if you look at all of their games leading up leading into that situation leading up to the, when the Steelers start off 11 and 0 their first 10 games they scored 26 or more points each and every time that was and, and that and that was a great that was a great feat, right? We were all excited. We were like, maybe maybe Ben's back. Maybe he figured out his elbow. And then whatever happened after that Jaguars game in that long week where they had to kind of wait for the Ravens to be okay to maybe play, they scored 19 points in that game and they win. But in their last in their last few, several games where they finished one and five, they scored 17 points against Washington, 15 points against the Bills, 17 points against the Bengals. The one game that they won, they scored 28 points against the Colts. They needed that to be able to clinch their division, and then 22 points against the Browns. But that was a Mason Rudolph start. But you look at those games; they're only four straight games of only scoring in the teens when you needed, and, and that's showed. In, in those instances when the defense needed the offense to come up, when Bud Dupree was out, Devin Bush was out, and they had a whole lot of, a, a lot of, a lot of other problems, the offense was non-existent. And then you saw for all this year, the offense was never a factor that people were like, man, we are terrified of the Steelers because of, because of their offense. Even And even in that Browns game, when they lost in the playoffs, and people say, well, they scored 37 points, right? They only scored it once they were down by three or more, po- three or more possessions. That's where I look at the problems for, the, for this Steelers team is that, if they're going to, 
one, they can get back to being an even better defense than they were last year and in 2020, and maybe even better than 2019. Because I truly think if they they take actual money and make this salary a salary cap based team that's based in defense, that 2019 team as good as they were, they sure they paid to keep Steven Nelson, but they stumbled onto Mike Hilton a few years before that, and that's what led to that. They they drafted Devin Bush, and he was a part he was a part of that. They had a lot of things working out for him, but that team was still heavily based financially on offense with Ben being your highest paid player and Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro. If you take that money and you reallocate it, because now you don't have a big fancy quarterback that you're paying for on your salary cap, you can get a, a, a super duper corner in free agency. You can pay for more really good role players on defense to fill things out. You could put yourself right back where you were in 2019 and maybe even be better. And you can have a solid ground game, which in 2019, they really didn't have, and their fumbles and lack of running back production in those years was also costing them. Sorry, go ahead. 2019, I'm glad you brought this up because you mentioned a bunch of games where they didn't score a lot of points. You brought up 2020. Let's go to the last three games of 2019. They yeah. scored exactly 10 points in each of those last three games. Dang. 10 points, 10 points, 10 points, and lost all three. Lost mm -hmm. to Buffalo by a touchdown, lost to New York by a touchdown, lost to Baltimore by 18. And now if you want to talk about a game – where things could have really gone their way if they had scored more, if they scored more than 10 points in that game, that game where they lost to the Jets, they lost uh, 16 to 10 on the road mm -hmm. against the Jets. They scored more than, they scored more than an extra, a touchdown extra. They win that game. Yep. You score 17 points. You scored 18, 19 points. You got a shot to win that game. You maybe finish nine and seven. You got a shot in the playoff spot in 2019 with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges as your quarterbacks. That's what that team could have done if they just scored better than 10 points and maybe had a shot to win those games. It really does come back around to, and you hear Mike Tomlin use this term all the time. For all the people that say Mike Tomlin says a whole bunch of nothing, that means you're not paying attention because he uses the term complimentary football. A yes, lot. A lot. He'll say we didn't play complimentary football. People, what does complimentary football mean? It means when the defense is doing a great job of not letting the other team score, you need to score points to win games. That's part of what complimentary football means. When your defense gets a turnover, you mm -hmm. turn that turnover into points. That's what complimentary football means. When you're shutting down an offense, when you're making the other offense go three and out, three and out, three and out, your offense should not be mirroring the other team's offense going three and out consecutively. Do your defense a favor. When they get off the field, keep the other team on the field. That's complimentary football because your defense is doing its job, but it's not its job to score points for you. That's your offense's job. The literal purpose of offense is to attack. And if your offense does not attack and make your defense's job easier to keep the other team from attacking, well, guess what? You're not playing complimentary football. And this team has had opportunities in the past three years Despite the injuries that we talked about, despite the lack of a competent running game that we talked about, despite different problems at the quarterback position that we talked about, there have been more opportunities for this team to play complementary football, and they simply have failed at doing it. But if a couple things on this defense gets better, they change the way they did a couple years ago, mm -hmm. you now have a chance where this team is in, an, in, a, in a, a place again where they can play more complimentary football, albeit while probably having a little bit of an easier schedule because they didn't win the division this year. So that's another yeah. thing mm -hmm. that helps this team as far as who they're facing and maybe making the job a little bit, if not a lot, just a little bit easier next season. No, I, I agree with that. That's another factor here. We have to remember in this year where they finished nine, seven and one, 
with the worst rushing with the worst rushing defense with a with a beat to beat to hell offensive line with Ben Roethlisberger playing at the worst part of his career, they faced the toughest the toughest uh, schedule in the NFL and still found a way to get a winning record in that in that situation. And in again, the game that they tied, the defense gave up sixteen points. Exactly, the defense gave up sixteen points, um, and they, and it was and they and they had they had a lot of problems with that as well. But you look at you you look at the opponents next year. You see, of course, the divisional opponents. But you're going to get a shot at the Ra- Raiders again. You're going to get a shot at Mac Jones with the Patriots. You're going to get a shot at uh, Zach Wilson with the Jets. Whatever the Saints are going to look like in the first year without Sean Payton. You get the Buccaneers, but we don't know how that team's going to look without Tom without Tom Brady. Maybe without Tom Brady, we don't know. You get to go on the road and play the Falcons. You do have to play the Bills on the road, but you get the Panthers, the Colts, the Dolphins, the Eagles. This is a team that, again, if you reform the offensive line, if you buff up the defense to make them an elite group again, which, again, they have the stars around it and they have potential for other guys to fill in as role players, you add some more stars there, you could piece that group together. Build up that offensive line like we've been saying all through, all throughout the early part of this offseason to let Najee Harris be the be the, the major force of the offense so that you can have a kind of a game manager type of quarterback. You're in a position where all of a sudden you can beat a lot of those teams. And people who say, oh, well, you don't have Joe Burrow. You don't have Josh Allen. You don't have Patrick Mahomes. Well, neither did the Titans when they earned the one seed. Neither did the Niners when they became uh, when they were a field goal away from beating the eventual Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams. These are the, these are things that can be done. I'm not saying the Steelers are going to go go compete and win the Super Bowl next year. But I am saying that if they do those th- these things in the offseason, we have a lot of time to see what they do. They can be in a position to be to be you be sitting here next year and be thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to be four and twelve when Ben when Ben Roethlisberger left, and then you're going to be looking at it and saying, oh, wait a minute, this team is competitive. Well, they already did that. They went eight and six after Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> got hurt, so right. clearly the expectation hasn't been realistic. I, Chris, I don't know how many times I've said this. This is one thing I learned in college. I want to say it was my com ethics class. Mm-hmm. The the definition, the unofficial definition of cynicism is the result of unmet, unrealistic expectations. Ooh, I like that. This defense continues to actually exceed unrealistic yeah. expectations. If yeah. there's anything that's that hasn't been met, the unmet expectations, it's on the offensive side of the ball. If you want to be really, really, if you want to really keep it funky, that, mm-hmm. that's kind of how that goes. Now, it's funny because I'm talking about unmet, unrealistic expectations. The expectations you and I have for next season's defense, they're actually realistic because we saw it happen three seasons ago Mm -hmm. with a healthy group. And that's considering the fact 2019, they didn't have the healthy step on to it, but Javon Hargrave was still there and they had Tyson Alualu. They Mm -hmm. had two guys to fill the middle and fill that other defensive end spot. They didn't have Mm -hmm. that this year. They had a myriad of guys. Now, granted, they eventually – found Montrevious Adams, who I love, by the way. You know I'm a Montrevious Adams guy. Mm-hmm. And Chris Wormley eventually stepped into the role, and I said by the end of the season he was doing better than Yeoman's work. But if you can get a full season of that kind of production and competency as opposed to the last couple games of a season, a full season of that makes you look a lot better, not only against the run, but also as a, def- a defense as a whole because you're going to be even better in the red zone even though you were ninth this past season or should say fifth this past season in the red zone. You're going to be even better on third down, even though you were ninth on third down this season. Now you look at more like an even more competent unit, and you look more like you did three seasons ago when you were fifth in the league in yards and fifth in the league in points allowed. Absolutely. Josh, we could keep doing this all day. 
but yes, I am way over time. And uh, wait, wait, I need to let you get to dinner. I need to let myself get on to this pit basketball game. I got to cover. But thanks so much for joining us, Josh. You are a wealth of, of information. You, we, we can't stop learning things when we have you on the show. Please let me we can find you, follow you, and get more of that information by seeing your work. Josh Taylor HD, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You go there. You got me. Absolutely. Do check him out at Josh Taylor HD. He is phenomenal. He gives great takes. He's on, he's on KDK TV. They need to get you back more on 93.7 the fan, man. Cause you're, you're awesome there. Uh, we love having you here though on the locked on Steelers podcast. We look forward to the next time you'll be here. I'm your host, Chris Carter. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Carter critiques. You can find this show, the locked on Steelers podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google podcast, Odyssey. And of course, YouTube, remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit the like button on this video. If you enjoyed it, share it with your friends, share it with everybody. We, we hope that you are enjoying the show. And if you are enjoying, the show help us out give us a five-star view with a positive comment on apple podcast you both at the same time you get a shout at the end of the show that's all we have for you today thanks again for tuning in we'll have jenna harnick wrapping up the week as usual on our friday episodes of the locked on steelers podcast